Hello, Sigurd. Welcome back to the show. Hi, 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 Ben. Nice to be with you. Uh, yeah. So, um, pleasure is mine, absolutely. And so, let me. You're not new to the show, but just for for the ones who just missed the first interview that we had about the Polish economy. So, you are an IT savvy manager, and you you PhD economist and historian. Um, so that's really fantastic, actually, because that's kind of element they bundle together. And today's topic is about Work 2.0, which is the book actually that you have written、um, more than almost actually、uh, two decades ago, but still very re- relevant. And for the ones who doesn't know the book, so that's actually、um, you know it was nominated for the if I pronounce it correctly, it's the Economicus Award, which is the best economic book of the year in Poland, and it's available in Polish. It's called Prasa 2.0, right? I've got also Polish and uh, uh, English version,、uh, both of them. Uh, so uh, yeah, you're correct.、Uh, they are both uh, uh, pretty much the same.、Uh, but、uh, the English version was released first in the US in 2013. And、uh, actually, I was uh, working um, for Harvard Business Review over that time, so I had a lot of. Inspiring guests、um, with whom I had a very deep、uh, connection and uh, uh, interesting interviews.、Um, and among such of the, such of people, I had、uh, David Merriman Scott, international marketing uh, experts. Uh, um, um, I've got also、um, uh, Andrew McAfee or.、Um, Well, the Andrew, Andrew McAfee is a MIT scientist and best-selling author. He was preparing a、um, um, well now widely acclaimed book,、uh, "Race Against the Machines:、uh, um, How a Digital Revolution Accelerating、uh, Innovation, Driving Productivity,、uh, and Transforming、uh, Employment and the Economy." And、uh, over that time, I had a lot of different interesting conversations with.、Uh, Uh, people from Harvard and MIT, and I thought that, well, why couldn't I just uh, uh, write something from myself that would add up to the public debate in such、uh, fields? And here it came.、Uh, the book、uh, released、um, in 2013,、uh, and it was an immediate success、uh, on Amazon. I think I hit uh, uh, more than 20,000 of.、Uh, Uh, sales、uh, over the、uh, one week. It was the、um, late November, the beginning of、uh, December, and I think it was、uh, around Black Friday. So、um, when it、uh, just was available for the, on the market. So I was lucky because,、uh, well, after the Black Friday, we've got Cyber Monday, and this、uh, time、uh, Amazon actually decided to make a promo on my book. So. Uh, they actually distributed it uh, uh, very well, and then my book was、uh, well known. And afterwards, uh, uh, Polish、um, publishing houses were started to be interested. So the Polish version was released, I think,、uh, one half a year uh, later. Uh, and uh, uh, well, it get also it got also positive reviews from different uh, uh, journalists, and it. In the end, get the,、um, a reward of being、uh, nominated to the、um, Economicus、uh, Award, which I'm very happy and proud of.
Absolutely. I mean, I mean, just say, just let you know. So I put my hands on this book. We we chatted in the first interview, and we talked about the in the debriefing that you have a book, and then I say I promise to read it, and I did, and I already shared it with a few of my you know um, close friends, um, whom running transformations and really holding director positions, and it's quite inspiring for them, and they. Just to say, it's like they came up with one comment and said, wow, this guy seen all of that coming in? I said, yeah, yeah, because COVID just was a catalyst. And that's what's made things happen rap faster than unexpected, I think. But, I mean, a lot of inspirations. And you said the big names in there you have interviewed. I've got a lot of inspirations from it. And I think it's th- th- this, is, this is it. I mean, this is the, I can't say the holy grail. I mean, if anyone struggles to understand what's going on right now, and try to say, oh, that's kind of, yeah, this would go away, it will fade away, or, or that's the only transition, or that's because of COVID. I think they've, they've been wrong. Um, but yeah, very interesting. Everyone has to get this book. So, um, Segush, off to my first question, actually. you I mentioned earlier, you wrote this book around 2013. It's almost a dec- two decades now. Um, how do you see your finding playing out, especially in the last two years? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, what I thought that transition will be rather gradual. Uh, it's like with all technologies, there are no revolutions when it comes to technological advancements. There are gradual upgrades or updates to the technology that are methodically uh, improves our workplaces, uh, our standards, uh, our understanding of uh, um, everything what surrounds us. Now, uh, although I thought the transition will be gradual, actually we've got this uh, um, uh, unusual event uh, that uh, happened uh, in uh, the early 2020, which is COVID, of course. And uh, now uh, I, I think, it's worth to uh, bring up the another book, which is uh, from Nassim Taleb, and it's called The Black Swan, The Impact of Highly uh, Improbable. And in such um, book, uh, the Taleb is actually saying that the Black Swan is an extremely rare event where several uh, consequences are emerging. And the uh, Black Swan events can cause catastrophic damage to an economy uh, by uh, impacting markets, investments, and, uh, um, well, it's uh, just coming out, uh, um, although we've got a robust modeling uh, that we uh, can prevent things, but we are not seeing it um, because uh, it's a black swan, right? It's a black swan event. Uh, so uh, some examples that uh, Taleb gave us uh, is uh, World War One or the image, uh, um, the, the appearance of the internet or the personal computer. So I think COVID is uh, somewhat like uh, the black swan, even though we had a uh, Spanish flu in 1918 or we had uh, uh, the plague uh, which is the Black Death in the in, uh, middle of 14th century. So, um, yeah, and I found that uh, what happened is that um, the transition from the old uh, work of uh, analog uh, work to the today's digitalized, re- uh, revolutionized uh, work uh, has accelerated in 
really fast. So uh, I came uh, into a, um, a concept of work to zero um, before all of that happened. And uh, it just basically is, uh, well, the concept that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. And uh, all of that might be happening in a fantastic environment with the extra button pay grade. Uh, so I saw that uh, it's based on a couple of different phenomena. Uh, first, the work started to be really contractual and to be virtualized. Uh, then it's escape where the work is rather cheap. Uh, so um, rather in the places uh, where the labor uh, costs are lower than in the Western ones. Uh, well, today work though requires still a lot of creativity, so less uh, repetitiveness is in place. Uh, then uh, we've got the knowledge and skills that are uh, needed uh, for building the digital economy, which I called hyper-specialization for certain skills. And I uh, named them and showed them um, uh, in the book. And then there's a lot of automation that is happening uh, around us as well. And machines, applications, computers are just basically stealing our jobs. And this will be happening uh, over and over in the next uh, decades, which is uh, actually good. I think it's good because we can do other things. So I just um, came to this conclusion that uh, we can do uh, um, work differently in the environment that is um, um, uh, well uh, described as the work to zero, and we can be happy and prosper. So... Um... Next one, actually, in, in, in your intro, you, you, you know, you talked a lot about globalization, which has caused complexity and an explosion in demand for hyper specialization, which you alluded to, to as well. So now, and, and do you see the trend continuing instead of reversing due to deglobalization movement around us? And we've seen that happening a little bit in, in the previous administration in the US, you know, with the Brexit. So it's kind of this. Uh, counter force to globalization or continuing globalization. So how, how, what's your reads, basically? I think that globalization has been one of the buzzwords for the last 25 uh, or 50 years, right? And uh, it might be a rather strange concept uh, since uh, any economic historians will tell you that uh, people have been uh, trading and coming across the business uh, uh, in uh, like millennials or not or, or centuries, right? Uh, so, uh, well, if you take a look at the certain timeline, like a medieval spice trade or East India Company, we know that uh, um, it happened, and this was the very first step for for uh, globalization. Uh, however, now we can see the scale and the speed of international business accelerated. Is accelerating to uh, previously unprecedented levels. Uh, so uh, it's uh, rather, I would say, easier to travel. Uh, uh, we've got the internet, world web, wide um, protocols, right? Uh, we've got <laughs> cold wars that uh, um, ended. However, we might have another wars that are coming. Um, uh, well, we've got a lot of new trade deals and uh, uh, rapidly developing digital economy, which uh, guarantees that everyone who's got a spark of uh, 
initiative and a little bit of creativity uh, can join this economy uh, that would be global. So if you are actually um, um, based in Asia, you, with the computer and internet, you can still be uh, a part of the global economy, which is, I think, fantastic. And this opens um, a lot of opportunities. So uh, um, there is also a question, uh, can globalization be uh, reversed? And my answer is that it's probably probably not. Uh, it's uh, today too important to uh, economic development. And uh, this uh, can be slowed down. Uh, I mean, we can try to slow down globalization. However, is that, however, the, the question is that do we want that to happen? I mean, uh, globalization has uh, a lot of uh, uh, advantages. Uh, some of such is that uh, it allows the um, developing markets to uh, reach their uh, previously uh, unavailable potential. Um, globalization allows the uh, societies and individuals of uh, developing countries to uh, just um, get rich and uh, live the life that was not available before. However, it, uh, globalization has also uh, um, downsides. We just um, want to um, know that uh, in the end, uh, it's rather the situation that one culture, one global culture will dominate, one product uh, will try to be uh, the one the most famous will be winning. Uh, it's just the winner takes all. Uh, another very good book that I can recommend. Uh, and uh, this is the case. So uh, I, let me just give you a story. When I uh, um, traveled the world, I've seen a lot of distant places uh, such as Papua, uh, New Guinea, Indonesia or Tibet. And uh, if you go to such places, you will start to see that monks in uh, monasteries in distant places such as Tibet, uh, which previously um, seemed to be unreachable, are having in their rooms the posters of Real Madrid or Barcelona, uh, the football clubs. So you might think that this is unthinkable uh, that these people uh, who should be living in a different life, they actually have uh, the same access to a global village as we have. And they can, with the initiative, they can uh, do whatever they want. They just need to be well informed, uh, which is not always the case. All right. So you have predicted actually in 2013, which is, wasn't a thing at all, especially in Poland, um, in terms of flexibility, mobility, um, for work, you know, uh, work environment, how, and, and this has happened all of a sudden, because I remember, and, and I shared the story in my LinkedIn once is that, you know, in 2015, when I came to Poland, having a laptop was a big hustle. It's like, you cannot have a laptop. And I was working in one of the share, biggest the share, biggest share service centers, and it took them to have a pandemic just to think about okay, maybe now we need to have workers at home. So that's that has already happened, and now we have something called hybrid working model and so on. But do you think do you think that will even move further? Whereas if you can do the job within this, in a different city within the same country, why not having same people doing the job in different country, maybe different continent? Okay, so I think you're uh, coming into the another idea, which is teleworking, right? Uh, which um, actually uh, 
pandemic of uh, COVID-19 also sparked. Uh, now, what we can see right now uh, is really different from the normal um, uh, terms that happened uh, last decade, uh, because COVID-19 uh, is a massive experiment in telecommuting. Um, when the pandemic has started, um, a lot of companies had a dilemma. What to do now? Uh, we can close the offices and shut down our business, or we can try to rearrange the business to uh, happen in a way that it will be still workable uh, by our employees, and it still will be the value to um, be delivered uh, to our customers, but it will require less office space and more virtualization, more um, digital technologies that should be implemented. And uh, this is what we what we see is happening in the advanced economies. Uh, Almost the half of populations, uh, half of population is working uh, uh, in a remote manner, uh, which is uh, really good. And this is thanks to the modern advancements of uh, the technology that uh, big tech uh, also offered uh, to be available. I mean, we've got Microsoft Teams, we've got Google Meets, uh, we've got Zoom, we've got uh, BlueJeans, we've got other solutions that were not available previously. Uh, therefore, uh, for now, uh, we can see that it's easier for a uh, virtualized uh, uh, whole environment and to make the distance uh, telework uh, possible um, in um, the second decade of 2010, uh, second decade of uh, 21st century, right? Uh, so actually COVID uh, accelerated the transition and uh, it's pretty good. I think a lot of people are really satisfied, but we have to take into consideration that uh, not uh, every person can actually work in a distance. Uh, like how we can turn um, into uh, remote work um, miners who uh, actually are acquiring the coil from the mine, right? Uh, uh, we can uh, possibly uh, move to the distance learning teachers and um, blue colors, uh, some blue colors. Uh, however, there are some occupations that cannot be uh, easily um, turned to be uh, um, moved to the uh, work to zero or uh, distance uh, um, working. So this is the case. So I think uh, with more and more emergence of the technology, we'll be able um, to have... Uh, move uh, another part of our uh, labor into uh, teleworking. But for now, uh, it's fantastic that uh, we can use this technology to uh, live and work uh, happily um, um, by staying at home. Actually, um, just on that, you know, a lot of people thought that working remotely and hybrid work is such a new thing. It's just a new thing that popped up in 2019. And your book you were mentioning, actually, it was Bluejet, right? That's the one did that already in the 70s, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think uh, the, the idea behind the teleworking or telecommuting, uh, because first it was not teleworking. Uh, at first we thought about the different idea about telecommuting. So we could technically um, um, connect ourselves to work uh, a, 
in a distance uh, that later evolves to be teleworking, right? A fruit. Uh, through telephone. Uh, if you think of the 70s of um, 20th century, we didn't have internet. We didn't have uh, mobiles. So uh, actually, people could work through the phone. This was the idea behind teleworking, right? Uh, it has tele here. So um, this refers to the technology that was uh, widespread over the time. Now, technology has improved, and thanks to that, uh, we are able to switch to a different terminology. So um, uh, remote working or work to zero are just emerging um, uh, words for saying the same thing, but uh, with a different, different technology. So that's my point. Demographics. Very important factor. You, you talked a lot about it in your book. How do you see that playing out? If you if you say Europe versus the other world, and how how that will be an accelerator to a walk two point environment. Um. Well, uh, there's a issue with uh, demographics in the Western world uh, because. Uh, uh, just basically, uh, Western societies are getting older and they are more hesitant in having uh, children. Uh, so if you take a look at the uh, fertility rate, uh, which is uh, the, basically the um, indicator which shows that uh, the developing countries are mo having more people than... Um, um, Western developed countries, and there are more people to come because they've got higher fertility rates. This shows that in the next uh, um, generations, the next decades, we'll have another transition, uh, which is also a challenge for politicians, for uh, economists, uh, as uh, these people will need to join the um, global economy. They need to, they want to, and they need to. Um, take part if, uh, in this transition. Uh, now, uh, it's easy for us uh, to say that some of the people uh, should uh, not do certain things, like we should, shouldn't um, uh, deforest the jungle in Brazil or in Borneo, Indonesia. While if we take the perspective of uh, people are uh, living over those places into consideration. Sometimes they want more globalization, they want more opportunities, and they uh, know that uh, uh, if that wouldn't be uh, happening, uh, then uh, they will miss the, uh, certain opportunities that are available to others. Now, um, well, uh, we will see the lot of uh, migration uh, we have seen a lot of migration in the past. Uh, a lot of people from um, Europe first uh, migrated to the United States. Uh, then uh, when Europe started to emerge as a, um, a nice place to live uh, um, after the Second World War and later when um, uh, European Union was formed, uh, a lot of uh, people from Asia, Africa, Middle East were, were starting to come to Europe. And now uh, this also means that with um, emergence of the digital technologies with uh, um, less barriers and communication, more flexibility, they actually don't need to leave their workplaces, their uh, families, they can stay 
where they are, but they can join the economy by working with the Western countries, maybe with also really a decent salary. So I'm not saying that this will be happening always, but uh, this is the trend that uh, we can see. I mean, a lot of people uh, are being recruited um, in the distance learning nowadays uh, uh, by um, um companies that are in the US, in Europe. So companies are opening their branches and allow people to work in a distance. So what I want to say is that demographics will, will shape our, our uh, future's economy. And then uh, we'll see that uh, more impact uh, will be happening uh, due to the uh, aging of uh, societies uh, of Western countries. Meantime, uh, those young and vibrant uh, societies of developing countries will start to prosper and will have a more demands. Therefore, uh, business has to adapt and uh, also economies has to adapt to, to um, manage uh, the opportunities there. So uh, I predict that there will be more um, distance working and there will be more opportunities to join uh, international business worldwide overseas no matter where you are uh, you if you have uh, enough skills uh, they will pursue you uh, uh, like it's just a matter of the time um this is what leads me to so when when technology gives access to businesses to um, the how you call the global talent market beyond their boundaries or countries where they're based, that's will eventually cause a higher employment unemployment in advanced economies, right? And then is that why now you know government talk a lot about UBI, which is the universal basic income, and then in, con in consequence, to, consequently, that will be the central digital pack currency. Um. Well, yes. Uh, well, let's first uh, specify what you have uh, in mind by saying UBI. I think universal basic income uh, is a program where every citizen receives a flat monthly payment regardless of whether they are working and uh, uh, earning an income, right? So this is uh, something which uh, gains a lot of attention and momentum uh, nowadays, uh, yet... Uh, we've got certain advantages and certain disadvantages of um, um, such approach. Uh, and it's worth to point out that uh, a UBI is actually a, a, a concept that has been priced from left to right when it comes to political uh, um, point of view. So uh, it's obviously um, um, well received by those from uh, left side, because uh, it's just helping the, um, the those that need money, it's just helping the poor. Uh, however, also um, people from um, a right side, from libertarian side, are uh, somewhat supporting uh, UBI. Uh, for example, Milton Friedman has said once that uh, UBI would be a great idea uh, if we can get rid of other administration. Um, so uh, with that, we can get the uh, money directly from the state. And for that money, we can buy um, services on the market. Uh, so it depends 
how we craft institutions. And uh, uh, as I said, uh, UBI has um, certain pros and certain cons. So I think uh, we can uh, discuss that among profs, uh, workers uh, will, can wait for the better job to uh, pick up so they don't need to um, like take the first job uh, um, that would be available to them, right? They can be more picky. Uh, there will be uh, more freedom for people. Um, like uh, they can actually well, do more with your time, more creative things, start to learn instead of just working. And uh, they can uh, like also uh, um, using the, the, that freedom to remove the poverty trap from um, the, in, 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 in case it exists in some of the developing societies. Uh, and uh, well, it might simplify uh, and straightforward uh, financial assistance that would uh, minimize bureaucracy. Uh, this is what I think Friedman had on his mind. Um, uh, well, uh, meantime, uh, I think, uh, well, young families, especially the, for those in um, developing countries, might have a, um, like, additional money, additional funds. Uh, and uh, there will be also um, a factor that uh, uh, would uh, um, help to stabilize the uh, economy during the recession. Uh, so there are some advantages of UBI that we cannot uh, miss in such discussion. However, there are also uh, various arguments against uh, universal basic income. And I think that, uh, first of all, it would trigger inflation. Uh, we can see that, uh, um, mm, well, the programs that are giving money uh, for consumption, uh, taking the money from uh, people who could technically uh, use the money for saving and for investment uh, would uh, eventually rise the demand and therefore we've got this uh, inflation um, that actually I think uh, um, UBI might might trigger. Uh, it's not uh, um, proof, it's not like uh, uh, academically proved be uh, because we didn't have uh, experiments uh, with UBI that would be uh, done on a large scale. So um, we have just a thought experiment uh, that it might trigger the inflation, but we cannot prove it until we'll see the uh, um, UBI uh, implemented uh, in a um, large scale. Uh, then another um, con argument uh, will be... Um, um, uh, well, uh, that it's uh, uh, not increasing the living standards over the time, which means that uh, um, if you take money from one place and um, move it to the another one, uh, it's just uh, uh, meaningless moving the money uh, between two individuals, two entities. So uh, in the end, uh, it's just redistribution. And... Uh, Redistribution doesn't give you the value added when it comes to the whole progress uh, in economic means. Uh, meantime, uh, the progress in terms of uh, economics is done through work or through properly using capital. 
Um, therefore, uh, I don't think that uh, it would be prospective uh, for uh, the economy right now. Uh, then, um, um, well, free income like UBI might not incentivize people to get jobs. Uh, so they might, some of them might would like to stay at home and do nothing. Um, and this is the case of a Polish program of 500 plus for uh, children though. So the couples uh, who are having children, they've got uh, a money that they can use however they want. Uh, and uh, uh, we saw in the data that uh, some of the women actually dropped their jobs because they preferred to stay with family uh full time in by having this uh this this lump sum of money uh, paid for by the government and now there are good things and bad things here bad things is that uh, the there is no like uh pursue for jobs by these uh, women but the good things is that they are spending more time with family so we can again see that in two perspectives and uh, i think in the end uh, if we take a look uh, at UB, uh, it might lower the general labor force participation rate, uh, which uh, in the end, uh, I think uh, would be bad thing. Um, and less people will be working in total. Uh, so this uh, um, UB, uh, I will have a um, um, discouraging uh, factor uh, embedded in its uh, nature. And then um, I think, uh, well, um, um, just many people are opposing to uh, such a freebie, such giving away money uh, to uh, unemployed people who don't perhaps deserve it. I mean, I might be among of them because I've uh, visited a lot of places. I am lucky enough to uh, to saw more than one hundred countries, and uh, I think uh, it's not entire. It's not fully moral to uh, give away the money for free in um, modern, uh, westernized, and uh, a. Um, developed countries, while in other places such as uh, Honduras, Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, uh, Myanmar, people are just living for one or two dollars per day. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure uh, if it's moral or ethical, uh, but that's another question and another dilemma, I think. And I agree with you, Segos, you know why? Because I think if we implement, okay, so I'm saying the extreme case scenario, what you talked about, right? The downside of UBI. I think we got to think of it that the richness of society is not how they buy with the amount of currencies in the economy, but how, what they produce, whether that's a you know product, tangible or intangible services, for example, right? And then number two is I think UBI has been trialed, but didn't we didn't call it UBI, but we call it some somewhat handouts for you know to face COVID nineteen. And this is done either for businesses or individuals. And I'm picking on one example here, what happened in the US, you know, the stimulus checks that, that they distribute. I think this is a form of EBI somewhat. And the consequences of that, that we have a low labor participations, we had the great resignation, we had the bubble in the financial markets, especially in NFTs and cryptocurrencies. So it's not really producing anything. Somewhat, someone can argue that's no, that doesn't really matter. This is this is the future 
I don't know. And then, and then, and then three, when the numbers just came out, the US has the highest deficit this year ever, thus even increased further because it's to consume more. And last is inflation. So we have less good produced with services and there's more consumers and more monies in the market. So I, th I think this is kind of, it's seen somewhat. And I think if we do that in, in a wide range, that might be really disastrous, isn't it? Yes, I agree. Uh, well, um, especially inflation is disastrous uh, because uh, when money loses its purchasing power, um, we can see that it affects uh, all of the people in a society, mostly the poor. Uh, because, uh, well, those that are wealthy uh, can actually manage to um, invest some of the money that would eventually give them uh, a surplus. So, um, yeah, I agree that um, for that, uh, uh, we should rethink uh, how mainstream economics should work. Uh, so, um, basically, we are living in a... Um, um, we are living through the times of the very uh, low interest rates or even negative uh, interest rates. Now, here comes the COVID. And COVID uh, actually um, provoked a lot of uh, lockdowns and it provoked the broken supply chains uh, that uh, started to um, block the... Uh, production of uh, specific products. Uh, now, uh, when we uh, combine a shortage of products with uh, strong consumer demand, that it's uh, stimulated by government programs, um, you've got a perfect receipt for uh, significant uh, supply and demand curve uh, imbalance. Uh, so I think this is uh, precisely why in inflation is uh, actually surging right now. Too much demand and too uh, little supply. Uh, and this has been um, um, in in uh, incentivized by, by different governments. Uh, so uh, actually with with that, um, we uh, can only um, well increase the uh, interest rates now uh, to um, allow uh, like to to take out some of the credits or like allow less credits to be in the circulated economy. Or there's uh, another uh, concept that uh, mm, is widely discussed in the US, which is. Uh, um, uh, quite opposing quantitative easing, which is quite a uh, tightening. Uh, so it's like just basically taking out the money from the market, which will uh, just uh, uh, suck out the inflation, uh, I think. But in the end, uh, I, I think, um, uh, well, um, there will be a pros and cons here as well. So among the, of the pros will be that inflation can be managed and it can be managed by such program. Uh, however, um, uh, a drawback of such is that uh, investors will be hurt and probably the stock exchange uh, will fall uh, after such program will be implemented and investors uh, are really afraid of uh, what would happen in 2022. They are looking at the uh, central bank's uh, response to the 
uh, highest inflation uh, in the US for last 40 years. Uh, well, in Poland, we've got inflation that reach uh, its 20 years high, uh, which is also really, really uh, high. And uh, I think uh, um, um, the question is here, uh, why we accepted uh, the scenario that led us to, to this situation. Uh, and this, I think, what mainstream economics has to rethink. I agree. In your first chapter, The Transformation, you discuss unifying the real and the virtual world. And I guess, I guess Zuckerberg metaverse is not his idea after all. Um, how that would impact our communities? Well, I think, uh, well, there is a lot of buzz uh, around metaverse. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the video that Facebook uh, showed us and the uh, response was really mixed. Uh, I mean, uh, there was a video when, uh, uh, when Meta showed us how the shopping would be in uh, Metaverse, right? So it's like uh, taking things from the shelves and putting into the basket, while the basket you're just uh, running uh, through the shop uh, and it's actually uh, the same representation of what we do in the natural life, but in the artificial reality that Metaverse wants us to produce. And it's actually not really not really good. And I think uh, it doesn't work that, that way. So, uh, well, if a business wants to, if business wants people to use the technology, technology must be better than uh, it is at the moment. So I'm not sure if uh, uh, just point and click isn't better than just uh, going through the uh, going through the uh, shop, right, and taking things from the shelves because uh, it's taking uh, too much time. So, uh, well, uh, I think the whole um, virtual reality or metaverse is still in the very early stage. And uh, I can bet on that uh, its concept will change uh, in the next uh, three, five, ten years dramatically. And we are not seeing the the real potential uh, that this technology, this series of technology might uh, provokes us. Now, the thing is that um, I'm not sure if uh, uh, it's in the right hands. Uh, however, uh, um, I think it's good that we've got certain advancements in the field uh, because this is the next step for um, evolution of uh, virtual reality uh, and uh, the whole metaverse universe. So, um, to just to wrap up, um, it's too early to say what would be the metaverse and who would be uh, um, creating value for us, for customers uh, in such reality. So, uh, we have to wait and see. All right. Um, you put it actually fascinating table with five technology technological waves. Um, which have changed our world. So that started in 1700, and, and then the last was in 2000. And each subsequent wave is shorter than its pre predecessor, right? Are we living the sixth wave right now, which has started in, in the early 2020 because of COVID-19? Um, okay, so uh, I, I think the uh, waves uh, are just uh, imaginary representation of how fast technological progress is coming. So, it, well, we always had this uh, 
progress, right? Uh, if we move, move back to um, uh, the times when people were uh, hunting the mammoths, uh, so if they crafted a um, better tool uh, that would help them to, you know, uh, hunt for the animals, uh, it was also progress, maybe uh, very significant, like the wheel, right? The wheel was... Uh, uh, pretty much uh, uh, the advancement that allow uh, many different advancements to prosper because it's just uh, like a, a, um, a snowball that is coming from the mountain and it's slowly, slowly, slowly gaining momentum and uh, b making its uh, speed and size to be bigger, right? Uh, so it's faster and bigger. Uh, and... Uh, one technological advancement uh, is based on previous uh, advancements, and those waves are just showing us uh, mm, the moments of where the uh, capitalism started to uh, flourish. Because there are two things here uh, that we want to point out. First is that, well, um, we need uh, to have... Um, institutions that would uh, allow people to uh, invent things, sell them, and capitalize on that. And this is for capital. This is capitalism for. Uh, so um, previously, uh, in feudal times, uh, in medieval era, or in ancient times, we had free markets, but we didn't have capitalism. So uh, without um, property rights uh, reserved and uh, a, um, well uh, confirmed uh, without the uh, stable law uh, without uh, institutions that will uh, incentivize a, um, people who want to take risk to think of how to improve our reality and invent new technology uh, we will not have uh, another uh, new uh, um, well, technologies that will uh, be um, like breakthrough um, in any field, right? Uh, it doesn't matter if it's biotechnology, IT, or or whatever they, whatever else. Uh, we just need to have uh, those institutions, and we've got this uh, happening in waves. Um, so these waves are also are uh, represented uh, in. Um, um, the uh, industrial revolutions. Uh, so industrial revolutions were actually coming from very simple um, mechanization uh, of the work. Uh, to this day, we've got industry 4.0, which is uh, based on the next wave, uh, the wave that is happening right now. Um, that is automation, digitalization, internet of things, machine learning, artificial intelligence. So we can see that uh, mm, these ideas are based on the previous technologies. And that's why uh, we can see uh, some patterns. When these patterns occur, we can call them a wave. Jumping back to, you talk a lot about the change that we, we talked about today, actually, about a lot about the, you know, the environment that work 2.0 is evolving around. And in understanding all of the factors, whether you know that policies, whether that's demographics, whether that's you know economies, whether that's you know, you know what even political landscape of of, of our you know system. In work two point what kind of skill that we need 
and then if that if there is enough supply for it versus demand i think um that's interesting question because i can give you a really straightforward answer but uh, let's imagine that uh well people are living in a different places in different societies so uh well in some societies uh there is a lot of value on different skills than on others. But just generally, if we are talking about globalization that unifies the standards and skills, uh, so we can see that, uh, uh, well, uh, most wanted are uh, those um, skills that are able to build the digital economy. And uh, I'm talking about IT uh, in particular here. So I think it was somewhere around 15 years ago when I started to see the pattern uh, that actually, uh, well, if you invest your time in IT, no matter in what, uh, you will actually have a reward from that. Uh, and uh, a, well, um, out of the technical skills, uh, we have to admit that uh, these skills um, might be uh, obsolete after some time. So we have to be um, careful uh, because if you have learned a, a skill that would be a technical skill, it might end up in a situation that this skill won't be needed anymore. Like I learned Turbo Pascal um, in the past, but nobody's using Turbo Pascal these days. Uh, well, we've got totally different uh, languages uh, in uh, IT. So uh, that's interesting because uh, it shows that uh, um, technical skills are fundamental and they can um, provide you a good future, while there are also skills that are universal and they will work uh, wherever uh, and whenever possible, assuming that you have them. Like uh, being a a communicative person, uh, being a creative person, and uh, being uh, having an open mind uh, to see different opportunities. Uh, among of those, uh, I would say that creativity is uh, super important. So uh, there is a great book uh, written by uh, Richard Florida, Rise of the Creative Class, uh, in which uh, Florida shows us uh, the perspective of the middle uh, class uh, in Western countries. And the perspective is that uh, these people are uh, actually very creative. So no matter if we are talking about journalists, about IT, about lawyers, uh, or about uh, uh, any marketing experts, these are creative people. So creativity is the currency of 21st century. Uh, this is because of... Um, Mm, uh, the fact that the creativity cannot be, uh, it cannot be done by, by robots, by machines, uh, by design, robots, machines, applications, or rather doing a process job. So they uh, are good in repeating things. Uh, while human beings can be Create, creative, we just need to inspire them and uh, maybe put uh, certain incentives uh, to allow them to uh, like think, invent, uh, have fun with uh, design, uh, art. Uh, so um, I think among of 
those skills that are soft skills, creativity will be on the rise. And we can see that uh, in, the, in the data. So uh, in uh, my book, Work to Zero, I um, basically tried to um, check how uh, the work uh, occupations are changing in the United States. So I found out that uh, repetitive uh, jobs are uh, decreasing uh, and um, um, well, the need for uh, jobs that are based on creativity, uh, that jobs that are non-routine are actually uh, surging. Uh, so this um, brought me to the conclusion that uh, if you are just doing the uh, job that can be automated, uh, like telemarketer, uh, like a uh, person who uh, is selling uh at the store, in the shop, uh, uh, um, these jobs can be automated easily and they will be automated. I don't know if you've seen the um, uh, autonomous uh, self-driving cars. Uh, drivers, yeah, drivers will not be needed in the very um, proximate future. I mean, there are already cars that don't need uh, uh, drivers. It's just uh, the legal system uh, and the social system is not fully ready for such cause. Uh, in the United States, there are some uh, states in which uh, um, self-driving cars are actually uh, being used. Uh, I think in Europe, uh, not at the moment, but we are technologically almost ready to replace all the drivers who are doing the routine job. So there is no creativity in driving. I mean, you can drive faster, uh, you can speed, uh, you can do different maneuvers, but there is no creativity in that. Um, and uh, I think uh, creativity uh, would... Um, help us to bring more value to our economy through certain occupations that Richard Florida and his book has mentioned. You know, fun fact, Sergio. So today I was driving back home before the show and I was thinking, it's like, I never had a chat with my wife who has a driving license, but doesn't know how to drive because she never drove. And I was arguing with her, you got to drive. And then I was thinking like between, you know, I have my inner voice telling me, yeah, but he needs to drive. He, you don't need drive license anymore. There, there will be no registrations anymore because you could hail a, a driver, a, you know, how you call it, the um, autonomous car that comes to you and just pick you up and drop you off. And as you say, the technology is there. I think what's hindering that speed of change is only the social and, you know, legal frameworks probably. Otherwise, we will see them rolling over in, even in small cities in Poland, right? Yeah, I agree. So uh, there is a lot of to do because uh, law uh, system uh, never, uh, uh, it's, it's pace, uh, pace of the law system never uh, gets uh, um, enough fast to um, implement the most recent uh, solution that technology uh, is bringing to us. I'm not sure if you've seen uh, how many um, mm, um, electric vehicles we had on um, Polish streets uh, for last three years. So the, for the first two years, I think it was uh, totally unregulated. Uh, and so we had a lot of uh, um, like uh, 
bikes uh, we've got a lot of uh, um, scooters which were electric now government is starting to uh, eventually uh, regulate uh, with a law uh, such improvements uh, but uh, what i mean is that first we've got the breakthroughs and then we've got uh, changes in the legal and social systems so uh well uh this is also that i mentioned this is also what i mentioned in the book uh, so we have to um, understand that um uh, the pace of the progress need to be adjusted to uh, legal and social um, adaptation. Absolutely. Okay, so I'd like to bring this question closer to home. We're both based in Poland. So if we talk work 2.0, and let's take it from a business perspective and leadership quality, um, are we ready? Uh, so first of all, it's like what that means, what 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 works 2.0 means for businesses and leaders in Poland, and then two, um, have we got that skills in? It's like, oh, oh we are fine, far far behind. No, we're not ready, basically. Um, yeah, this is a difficult question. Um, as I said, uh, work to zero is rather positive thing, uh, especially for employees. Uh, for um, the fact that it gives them a lot of flexibility, uh, a lot of uh, proactivity, uh, and uh, also um, I think the uh, people who would like to participate in work to zero uh, economy, they people who, who are employees, they need to take care of their lives. Uh, so it's just a, a matter to be open and proactive. However, on uh, employer perspective, uh, um, it might be uh, not uh, exactly uh, the same um, perspective because of a couple of different uh, facts. So I think, um, well, for the most of the time uh, in uh, the past, Poland was the country which um, uh, was well known because of the cheap labor cost. Uh, so uh, nowadays, uh, we are in a kind of middle income trap, uh, which uh, mm, divides the mm, um, Western countries from uh, developing countries. And it's really difficult to uh, overcome uh, such phenomena uh, due to the fact that uh, uh, it's not only about the skills uh, of employees, it's also about the business. So uh, business owners, um, um, need to understand that, uh, uh, well, there um, are a, um, different ways of uh, institutionalize the structure of uh, um, relationship between the employers uh, and employee. So uh, this is fundamental because you cannot do work to zero <laughs> if your uh, if your boss. Uh, if your supervisor will not allow you to do that, right? So, um, yeah, I, 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 I meant the same thing. Uh, so, um, uh, yet uh, we have to uh, remember that in Poland, the best um, um, opportunities are reserved uh, for the workplaces that are coming from international business, like big corporations. Uh, so uh, majority of uh, companies though, are small and medium and micro companies are from Poland, uh, and they actually struggles uh, in changing their 
structures. Uh, so uh, for big business, it's easy because they've got their own cultures and they adapt technologies rather easily. Uh, however, for such local business, uh, it's much more uh, difficult, much more time. And we can see that there is a technological gap between uh, big uh, parties and small entities. Uh, so uh, this, I think, uh, will be changing and the gap will be fading uh, as uh, actually uh, startups are um, showing that the gaps doesn't need essentially to be in place. However, some companies were already had their organizational culture, the way how they work for last 20, 30 years, and it's difficult for them to adapt. Uh, it's difficult for them to understand uh, where is the value from moving things uh, from, um, let's say, technologies that are on-premises to the cloud computing, right? Um, where is the value, right? Uh, Mm, uh, why we use all the data. Uh, and uh, maybe uh, some companies need just uh, um, uh, a guideline or uh, a person who would show that, um, mm, yes, there is a value from using the data analysis, the analysis the data, because from the data, you can uh, get the better decision. Peter Drucker, uh, famous uh, management uh, expert um, from uh, US, uh, um, once said that uh, you can't manage something that you can't measure. And that's why uh, we need to make decisions based on measurements uh, and indicators. And if we don't have them in place, which is the case of many uh, small uh, business in Poland, uh, we can't really uh, implement new solutions because, because we can't measure that the old one are actually worse than the new one. Uh, so it's uh, rather the question of the thinking, of the way of the thinking. But I think to be fair, you know, Segash, but even big corporation having a hard time to enable technology. And even if they do, they do it the wrong way. It's just, you know, they just satisfy shareholders by saying, oh, we're investing in technology, investing in technology. But then on the, on the ground, there's there's nothing. Um, I think I, I can't agree with that. Uh, it's maybe because... Uh of my research, um, I wrote another book, which is um, um, called Unusual Story of uh, um, uh, Well-Known Companies. And I brought uh, the um, many examples uh, of uh, such as uh, Coca-Cola, uh, such as JP Morgan, uh, that, such as uh, Heinz, uh, Procter & Gamble, uh, or uh, Johnson Johnson. And, um, well, behind each corporation, there was individual story of a, uh, a person like you and me. And uh, uh, let's just focus on, let's say, Gillette, uh, a well-known brand uh, that um, is producing the, um, you know... <laughs> Uh, the shaving razors, right, uh, for 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 people, right, and then um, uh, King Camp Gillette was the ordinary person who had a wonderful idea how to um, improve our world, and he just uh, uh, he was using um, 
the shaving knife, which is the most common technology in 19th century. And uh, uh, one day uh, um, he cut himself uh, very fiercely and uh, then the blood spilled over his uh, um, body and uh, he was looking at the mirror, seeing the blood coming out from his body. And uh, then he just started to shout, I invented, I invented, uh, and I invented. And he uh, came to his wife uh, saying that he invented this shaving razor that was uh, uh, exchangeable, that we know today as the um, shaving machine, right? Uh, now, um, uh, well, we when we think of corporation, uh, we forgot that there was a, a founder who had a great idea of changing the world. And in fact, behind each corporation, there are services and products which are providing us a value. Um, if you take uh, uh, any corporation, uh, you can pick a products or services that they produce. It's just the competition is so fierce uh, and there are so many products that we forgot that... Uh, uh, our life is usually better with those with those products. Uh, for example, uh, I'm using for uh, streaming uh, a, this video a Sony camera and a Microsoft laptop. So I'm really happy that uh, I can use them because otherwise we couldn't meet. Uh, we would have a different technology. We'd have a different uh, devices. Now, um, Gillette, uh, in the end. Um, um, uh, built his technology and his idea and uh, became a rich person. Uh, now, uh, it's the matter how corporation will um, continue the um, ideas of the founding father. Uh, now, um, with some cases such as Procter and Gamble, uh, it's really working good. Uh, I mean, Procter and Gamble were two people who met on the street uh, to um, sell soap in the 19th century. And uh, the soap was such a, a huge success uh, that they started to think of how to um, improve the um, life of others, how to um, improve the quality of life by inventing other products that will help um, um, help uh, to like uh, polish the skin, uh, to make people look better, to smell better, right? And, and the competition is watching. Uh, for example, Hans Schwarzkopf was he was seeing that the soap was particularly uh, good, but there was no um, soap for for hat, right? For hair, uh, because hair doesn't fit with soap. So he started to think how to make the soap. For hair, and he came up uh, came up with the liquid soap that we know uh, called a shampoo, right? And shampoo came from his own interest of um, mm, uh, India inspiration, because shampoo is just basic basically a massage in 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 India, right? Uh, so uh, Schwarzkopf was really interested in uh, in Indian. Um, in Indian culture. So what I want to say is that uh, the problem is when the corporation stops to think of the how to improve the world and uh, uh, start to think about the incomes. Uh, as, uh, of course, Excel files and incomes are fundamental, but they are not, uh, they are not the, uh, well, uh, 
the point they are not the, they are not the one that should be uh, taking the first place uh so first is the product then there are uh, there are profits right if the product is good it's just uh, if you will ask jimmy hendrix why he wanted to play guitar and i bet that he wouldn't say that he wanted to earn money no he wanted to play songs he wanted to entertain people he wanted to feel the beauty of the of the song not to earn money right this is the same case uh so hendrix and corporations are not entirely different in such uh understanding now there is uh, uh a problem if that happens for example let me just give you an example of kodak kodak once was a fantastic uh, entity uh, an organization that invented analog photography uh by founding father of kodak uh josh eastman who revolutionized uh the pictures by uh inventing the whole technology and making it works in the late 19th century now uh do you know who actually invented the digital photography it's kodak it's the r&d in kodak actually came out into uh digital photography that we use right now but they thought of it as follows will not pursue it because it will in the end cut off our fantastic analog photography let's not go with it and that was the fundamental mistake of uh kodak executives so what happened uh well eventually canon sony and other companies started to go with uh, uh digital photography and uh, nowadays kodak declared bankruptcy i think 10 years ago because their wonderful analog photography is obsolete and they didn't pursue with the new ideas uh and there is a lot of competition on the market so i think uh just to summer just to summarize the uh, what has been said i think corporations are uh, maybe not not good but uh, neither good nor bad so they provide us a lot of value but we have to remember that uh, of course besides feeding the shareholders uh, they also need to um uh, go on with uh, their incomes and uh, not entirely transparent uh, meantime the products are really good if they wouldn't be they would just uh, fall and declare bankruptcy in a moment so um, i think internally from corporate uh, perspective side uh, well there's a lot of things to improve meantime uh, some of the products of uh, big corporations are really fantastic and here comes the startups startups are having the same idea as the founding fathers of corporations so they might become a, a corporations one day in the future if their products will be much more successful than their uh, than those that are on the market my last question to you Sagosh, is so that's work 2.0 can we see in our lifetime work 3.0 um <laughs> okay i think um well uh it's just a matter of uh, numbers uh, there are some methodologies that are claiming that we've got uh, fourth or fifth wave of industrial revolution right now so we've got also work for zero right uh 
what I want to say is that uh, I really care about the ideas behind it, not the the numbers uh, and uh, um, uh, what uh, will happen with the work is that um, definitely I see uh, a lot of hyper specialization. This is something that I also mentioned in the book. Uh, hyper specialization uh, is nothing new. Uh, so interestingly, uh, Adam Smith uh, famously said in The Wealth of Nations, his book that was uh, a well-known uh, bestseller over the ages in economics, that the division of labor is uh, limited by the extent of the market, right? And this is uh, because it is by the ex exchange that each person can be specialized in their work and yet uh, still have an access to a wide range of goods and the services. So um, what I want to say is that Smith uh, gave the famous example of, of pins and that um, are, are produced in the factories. Uh, so he asserted that uh, um, just the factory uh, worker is just average produce, on average is producing, uh, I think, 40,000 uh, 40, of pins uh, uh, per day. Uh, and, uh, uh, well, uh, this happens because of specialization, because we've got uh, a line uh, on which one person is uh, actually doing a different thing than others. So they are not uh, duplicate their work. And then uh, it's important because uh, uh, Smith also um, uh, mentioned that if there was no specialization, the workers wouldn't produce this 4,800 pins per day. Uh, so uh, mm, it's important because uh, uh, it's like in the football. Uh, if you watch football, uh, we've got the specialization for um, midfielders, defenders, goalkeepers, and forwarders, right? And if you take the best uh, defender in the world and you put that person into forward position to attack, to score goals, it wouldn't make sense. Uh, the same if you take the forwarder, the, the attacker, and put it into the goalie position, probably it won't be, it won't be a good decision either. Right? So what I want to say is we are seeing the hyper-specialization, and we should hyper-specialize, uh, which means that if you know everything uh about, uh, if you know a little about everything, uh, it means that you, your knowledge is uh, either not up to date or not very useful to others. Uh, while if you're really an expert in one field, especially if it's market field, um, this would be a huge advantage for you. Like it's better to know, let's say, um, uh, Python language, perfectly than uh, like having a little knowledge about all of the languages and uh, not be able to prepare a code in any of them, right? So what I want to say is that we hyper-specialize. And this is what we see in our lives uh, uh, over and over uh, as it was uh, actually seen in the past. And it will be seen in the future uh, just in more intense manner. Um, so uh, we have to like focus more on getting this hyper specialization because to reach 
the understanding of speciality. We need to understand the foundations of other fields. So what I want to say is that uh, we will be living in the uh, age of hyper-specialized workforce in the work to zero. And this is where I would like everyone to recommend uh, to select one field and go for uh, specialization. Uh, if not one, maybe two or three, but not more, uh, because you can't virtually uh, be a biologist, IT technician and economist in the same time. It's virtually impossible. Thanks a lot. What a wonderful conversation, Sergej. I appreciate the t your time with me today and um, hope to see you soon again. Many thanks, Ben, for the invitation. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you.